0: Next Chapter Podcasts. The 500, the 500, J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition so it ain't nothing too new. Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend, the king of peaceful for Angelo. Talking the 500 until the end. Talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.N. On the 500, talking the 500 until the end. I've been eating them for six or seven weeks now Haven't got sick
1: once Probably keep us both alive
2: Would you give me some of your berries, Blue? I want to eat them in particular Because they've got
0: antioxidants
2: I... The song is Wooden Ships by Jefferson Airplane from the 1969 record Volunteers. It's number 373 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. Thank you for tuning in to the only podcast that has a host that doesn't know shit talk about music. That's why we got more to y'all. What's up, Fleece Army? Guys, I have so many dates coming up. April 22nd through the 24th, I'll be with Big J Oakerson at the Columbus Funny Bone and... I'll be at Phoenix House of Comedy Thursday, May 13th through Sunday, May 16th. And dude, I got a lot of shit coming up. I'm at the St. Louis Funny Bone June 24th through the 27th. I will be at the Vancouver House of Comedy September 9th through the 12th and... Skankfest, whole bunch of stuff, man. Go to my website, joshadammyers.com, for all the shows and all the details. It's going to be fun. I got a lot of projects I'm going to be announcing over the next couple weeks. So subscribe to me. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. You guys watching the podcast, because every Wednesday we post the episodes to our Patreon for $5 a month or more. And we appreciate everybody that is paying into the 500 Patreon. You know, there's there's a lot of people working on the show. We don't have Spotify anymore to pay us, so you know, whatever we get through ad sales or through the Patreon really helps. And if you guys really are enjoying this podcast, guys, help contribute. Five dollars, I know, is a lot, but you know, we we really appreciate it. So go to Patreon.com/backslash the five hundred podcast, or go to our YouTube and the videos are released on Thursday. Hit the subscribe button; you'll get everything that we do. Now, about this record, we're gonna talk about this. This was not an easy listen. This one took me a while to get into. There's a few songs on here that I love, there's a few songs in here that I don't love, and we cover it all. And it was hard finding a guest for this because Jefferson Airplane is not a band that I know anybody that is a fan of. So my guest today, I'm a fan of the one and only Lisa Traeger. You know her from her Netflix special, The Degenerates. Maybe you've seen her clip, This Is Not Happening. She's incredible. She's a very good friend of mine, very funny, and she did the homework. Listen to the record and we have a great episode for you. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms. If you're listening on Apple, leave a five-star rating and leave a review. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500 podcastgmailcom at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group, The 500 Podcast with Jam, run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to our website, the 500 podcastcom Well, nothing left to say, but... Well, here we go with number 373 out of 500 volunteers by Jefferson Airplane. Hey, hey. What's up, Fleece Army? Before we get into this episode, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Sunset Lake CBD. They are an incredible company that is making products for all different type of needs that people have nowadays that CBD is the cure of. They offer pre-rolls, hemp cigars, and hemp flowers. They have a tincture that I take now and I give to my dog and it reduces my anxiety and it cured my dog's paw problem. I say this every week, but I swear by it. And they have a CBD coffee, just in case you want a little bump of up to go with your alolo. And it's crafted to help with stress, aches, and pains. Sunset Lake CBD saves you money by shipping high-quality CBD products directly from their farm, which used to be a Vermont dairy farm for Ben and Jerry's ice cream producing the milk, but they've diversified. And you can go to sunsetlakecbd.com, use promo code JAM500 for 20% off all products. Once again, sunsetlakecbd.com and use code JAM500 for 20% off all products. And now, a bag to the pod. Morty's, Morty's like, the heart and soul of this He's a great, uh, one of my one of my best friends. Uh, can I say that? Are we, we're, I mean, I think we're best friends. I, I, I bring you he drugs. Brought, he brought me dick the pills, pills recently. That was, can I, I say that? Dude! I have no problem. Maybe uh, you took. Can them. I tell I'm going you, like Viagra
3: or something else? Yes.
2: Yeah. Oh, oh my they work. God, like I am Was never, ever at forty-one, ever going without. Especially first time. First time because 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 Lisa, you know, it's like you know, the older you get, it, it's just it's just getting harder and harder to move blood. I hate to say that but it's the truth.
3: So um does it so it gets your dick hard and then does it stay hard for too long or no? No, it's
2: like it really is one of those things that I can eat heavy carbs and then maintain an erection. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Like I can we got some pad thai, we got some food prior to it, like that's a lot of carbs for me be pre preamble. You know what I mean? Okay. Jefferson Airplane not Jefferson Starship, which is your favorite band, but Jefferson Airplane. Uh, I love you. I've been wanting to get you on, and unfortunately there is no Britney Spears on this list.
3: Well, I wonder what list because I got an email and then I went, you know, I have I'm very into pop music and just female vocalists um, and I listen to some cool stuff. I like Roy Orbison. I've been to Gogol Bardello concerts Ooh. like I'm hip sometimes. <laughs> um, you know, I love Al Green, but usually I'm Britney, Gaga, Adele, Miley. Like, that's my vibe. So I went through some other lists, apparently, but like Janet Jackson was on it and all these people. And then you were like, we don't know what list you've been looking on Janet. But. Jackson is is,
2: Janet Jackson's on the list, but like in like two more years and we can bring you (laughs) back for that. We can bring you back for that because today we are talking about the Lady Gaga of 1960 plural. Uh, Tell me about what you know uh, prior to us having you on the podcast about the band Jefferson Airplane
3: so I knew nothing. And then when I got the album and started listening, it sounded like I forgot what channel, but there used to be, it was like a limited series event, the sixties, you know, on like NBC. And it was like, don't you want somebody?" (laughs) so I was like, Oh, that sounds kind of like that. That's weird. They just ripped them off. And then I realized, Oh, this is the band from that song. And then, um, I and then I read a little bit and I guess they were the first to kind of create the genre in San Francisco. So then I was like, oh, so they're pioneers. They're not like sounding like everyone just because they created the sound. Yeah. So that felt cool. And then some of the track like some of the notes or some of the uh le- like they resonate like I remembered I was like I've definitely heard this fucking song um, but I would not have known it was Jefferson Airplane at all yeah so so that's how I felt but I kept feeling like you know and now and then Brendan Fraser like I kept thinking this like this music plays when a kid is about to get into drugs in high school or like hang out with the wrong crowd like it is uh, like haunting a little bit
2: Morty is that true is this what you were listening to when you were at Fairfax
1: High fucking this is what I listen to when I was in
3: the NAM, Morning
2: was uh,
1: b- private first class. <laughs> I was, I was, on, I was on a ship on the uh on the river. Love the smell of schmear um, in the morning. I'm much like you. Uh, I always
2: looked at the Jefferson Airplane as like the 60s icons. Uh, and and for the most part, yeah, and I, I bet these are the same songs that you know, Somebody to Love because that's a fucking banger. Uh, and then uh, White Rabbit, like I knew that. Uh, I, so I really don't know a lot about him. Uh, I, you know, I kind of prefer the cheesiness of Jefferson Starship. Um, I love we built this city so much. I don't know if you were, were you at the first Clusterfest in San Francisco? I was. I don't know if you remember, but we did the goddamn comedy jam there. And because we had Burr on it, uh, and he was only doing a couple shows. We had about 5,000 people, uh for the show and we opened by doing we built this city and it was great too because we just did this whole like we like <laughs> we did it like we built this city and then we froze and then we all moved. It was so coordinated cheese ball McGee and the crowd could not give a fuck. Uh but it's one of my favorite cheese songs from the eighties. Um and with this record...
3: Did they grow into this, or is this two different bands, Starship and Airplane?
1: Morty, it's two different bands, right? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to explain okay, cool. that in a while. By the way, you know, we built this city. As One of the co-writers of that song is Bernie Taupin. Oh, really? Just to let you from know. Uh, yeah. That's
2: the dude for Elton yeah. John,
1: right? Elton John's, oh, Elton John's partner. Oh, that's great. So
2: I think, uh, you know, my opinion on this record, uh, and before we go into the preamble uh, so we can find out a little bit about the history, was... I didn't like like this at first. I I first was was like this is a hard listen uh with with moments of, of 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 sounds that I was like, "Ooh, I'm attracted to that. I like this. Don't like this." It felt very 1968, 1969, but as I listened to it like in every episode, it grew on me and I was like, "Yo, there's some there's some bangers on this." Um but like like you I know nothing. So Morty, why don't you tell us a little bit well, about I, Wait, go ahead. No, while the, you were
3: talking it I mean since I just moved back to LA, you know I've been gone for months and months. I was like driving around sunshine, California listening to this and it, it did all feel very right. Yes. It was like a nice soundtrack to my drive. For sure, I did
2: a show in Ventura and I listened to it on the whole way back and I was like there's which we'll get to, which there's my favorite moment on the record is is the most 60s psychedelic sounding song on the record and it was like just seeing the beach and and hearing this at the same time was like
1: oh, this is I get it now I get it I get it I get it
2: Uh, Morty, fill us in and tell us a little
1: bit about uh, So this is released in November of 1969 on RCA Victor Records. It's produced by Al Schmidt and it's the fifth album by the American Acid, Psychedelic Folk Rock Group. In the early 60s, a young folk singer in San Francisco named Marty Ballin had a couple unsuccessful singles before going into this popular new folk rock direction that everybody was going into, like The Birds in Los Angeles and everything. By 65, he converted a former pizza place uh, on Fillmore Street into a nightclub called The matrix now he'd met another local musician on the scene a guitarist and a vocalist called paul kantner and they decided to form a house band for the matrix so they added they add a few members including a co-lead female vocalist named signatoli anderson who is the first female singer in this band a lot of wait, people don't know about. sig, sig Nantoli, old, wait, is that gray slick no. Signe Tolly Anderson's the first singer of the band, and I'll explain in one second. So and then uh, Kantner got his old college friend Jorma Kalkinen for lead guitar. Uh, Jorma came with the band's silly name based on either a friend's dog or a type of homemade ro- roach clip, depending on who you ask. So, yeah, that's sort of if you take a little like match and you or a toothpick or something, you like crack it and you make like a little roach clip out of it. That's apparently a Jefferson Airplane. Or it's just a groovy name based on, you know, blue blues singers, whatever. So uh, the band's popularity, they started getting a lot of critical notice. It got them a record deal. By that time, Kalkanen brought in his childhood bandmate, Jack Cassidy, to play bass. After one successful album, drummer Spencer Dryden joined the band. Signa left because she had her first baby. She was immediately replaced by the female lead vocalist of another local band, The Great Society. Grace Slick had model looks, a powerful voice, and two songs from her old band, um, one written by her and one bit written by her then brother-in-law. So with this lineup, legendary concert empresario Bill Graham is their manager. And those two songs, White Rabbit and Somebody no way. to Love. Jefferson Airplane. She brought right. that shit so- to them? She brought her from great society. She wrote White Rabbit, and then uh, Darby Slick. Her brother-in-law wrote somebody. Wait, that's her real name. Two songs Grace Slick society. is really her last
2: name. like not. It's
1: not Slick. That's her married like name. Her name is Grace, Grace Wing. Grace Wing.
2: Oh, because I really thought the the other name yeah. was just Grace Slick, but she changed her name because they were like,
1: yeah, this Shockenberry or whatever it is. <laughs> that shit ain't gonna work. Yeah, exactly. Right. No, she had two dope names. Her real last name and then her married name are both dope. So then uh, with that lineup, with Bill Graham as their manager and those two songs, the, the second album blew up. So they became synonymous, as, as Lisa was saying, they became synonymous with the San Francisco rock sound. And despite that, they never really had any other singles after that. They didn't have like hit singles. Those are the until way later. Those are the only two ones. That's why those are the ones you keep hearing about all the time. So they do a few more albums. They tour. uh, The music gets progressively heavier. They fire Bill Graham. They all move into a huge communal mansion at 2400 Fulton Street. Everyone's doing drugs. Everyone's having sex with everybody. Uh, This is all in everyone's book, so I'm not talking out of turn. And then a while later, Grace gets sidelined while she's recovering from throat node surgery. So most of the guys start a blues based side band called Hot Tuna. That comes up later, but that just for the time being, Tot and they end up opening for the for the airplane and everything. Grace gets back. They get ready to do this record. They go into this ultra modern sixteen track. By the way, that at the time was ultra modern. They go into a sixteen track studio to do this album. So Vietnam is raging. There's societal unrest, and meanwhile, this higher consciousness is permeating the 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 youth, and they're coming up with songs that are anti war, pro anarchist. Uh, They're mindful of the ecology and the environment. It's completely unmistakably late 60s, as you can hear from it. Guests on the album include David Crosby and Stephen Stills, who at the time were working on Crosby, Stills and Nash's debut. They had keyboardist Nikki Hopkins, who famously played with the Kinks and the Stones, and Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead. So despite, sorry, despite completion of it, it was delayed for months because they had battles with their record label, which I'll get to later. Um, it was not just the band's last all new record for two years at that point, but also the last with this classic lineup. And this is considered the classic lineup of the band. Uh, by the next album, Marty and Spencer were gone. Grace and Paul had already had China, who's an old friend of mine. So shout out to China Cantner. They became parents. Uh, um, and then from that point on, there are just Ultimate iterations of this, their members come and go. They change their name from Jefferson Airplane to Jefferson Starship. Then they change it to just a starship because people are suing each other. And then there's lawsuits with their management goes on thirty years. Whole lot of bullshit. Side projects, more hot tuna stuff, all kinds of stuff. Sadly. Spencer Dryden, their drummer, passed away in 2008. He was followed by Paul Kantner in 2016, and then Marty Ballin in 2018. However, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 96, and in 2016, they received the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. And that is the album for today.
0: Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast?
2: That's Axe to Grind. uh, And right now, you're going to be getting a little...
0: Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a uh, niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate.
1: Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards the genre that, that uh, has
2: impacted your life, uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week.
0: So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot
4: I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth.
3: Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists.
1: Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to The Show on the Road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon.
3: Wait, but Volunteers, you said they only had those two hits, but this album... Like, I recognize some of the songs. None of them were hits. Sure.
1: Uh, they were never, they they didn't have hit singles, which is why when you think about, like, that's why you know White Rabbit and you know Somebody to Love because those are the ones where they're unmistakably like on the karaoke machine or in the jukebox. There's not songs from the, the, this album and not a lot of stuff from this era where they're like hit singles, where they put out like a 45, which is basically radio single. Mm, wow. Well. They were still immensely popular. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, somebody to love. It's, it's always
2: going to remind me anytime I listen to it of the cable guy with, with Jim Carrey when he does that fucking killer version of it. Um, and it's like I think it's music made for taking LSD and and just getting fucked up. I mean, smoking weed and 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 so I dig it. I mean, I dig those songs. And this was a this was a journey. This was definitely. A journey. It took eight listens before I fucking fell in love with it, but let's talk about it. All right, so it opens with We Can Be Together. So this carries the same kind of counterculture sloganeering that John Lennon was utilizing at the time and the MC5 would soon run with. It signified to the hippie peace and love community that they would have to take up both figurative and possibly literal arms against the fascist forces of their own country. Uh, Play the beginning uh, 114 actually We're all outlaws
0: in the eyes of America In order to survive We steal, cheat, lie, forge, fuck, hide, and deal We're all
2: outlaws in the eyes of America In order to survive We steal, cheat, lie, forge, fuck, hide, and deal Uh, We are obscene, lawless, hideous, dangerous, dirty, violent, and young. Um, So in their self-description was everything the establishment thought about them. What I was impressed by is how many words they got in that line. Because they're like, we steal, cheat, lie, forge, fuck, hide, and deal. Cook, play hockey, (laughs) ship products on eBay, and sleep apnea. I mean, they give you a lot. A lot of stuff right there. Um, all right, so this is your first song of the album. What did you think about it? I
3: was into it. I liked it. I mean, I was... I feel like I've heard it before. And is it bad? I felt like every song, probably this one too, like Freebird, it just, they all sounded like Freebird by the end to me. Like that long, like just instruments. Like, it, I don't know. It definitely has like
2: some Freebird-esque to it. Um because they most of the songs have these big guitar like outro things not nearly on the scale of freebird but uh but definitely definitely I mean well when did when did that come out uh freebird that's 70 when that was that was early early 70s. 70s so yeah so this is before so if anything uh Leonard skinnard stole this from Jefferson airplane
3: yeah it's fucking fun I don't know I like it I'm also tone deaf I'm truly tone deaf Oh, I know. Um, I,
2: j- I heard you remember when you did the goddamn comedy jam and you sang, uh, I want it that way. And it was yeah. hot garbage. You, you, you put, you put love into it. You put energy. But, but I mean,
3: but it, the second time I did the same song, I think I did it a little better. I was a little more confident, but I am tone deaf in high school. I try to take voice lessons. I like we did. Um, For theater, we had to do two monologues and a song for this show. And uh, they gave me a song and they're like, this is made for you. You'll hit these notes. And then they're like, just hit these notes, just the main important ones. And then I had to speak in rhythm. So I did do Once Upon a Mattress, She's Shy, like in a rap. It was, I wish I could sing. I also like, I listened to this dozens of times and all I can say is I like it. Like it's so fucked up. I don't have the language for it, but even when I watch Friends do comedy, I'm like, "Great set, loved it." I've seen Roadwork by Dave Attell ten times yeah. mi- minimum. Maybe I can remember two jokes. That's like you, I don't know what's wrong with me.
1: That's all you need to remember. Uh, Morty, is there anything to add? You'll get a kick out of this. Then this will this will go right up your vernacular. <laughs> We're here to go. So on the previous album, they had fought with their label over the word "shit," but due to the success and the social standing, you know that they gained from having success they had complete artistic control on this one so they were free to use free to use fuck on this and up against the wall motherfuckers which is the big you know the big one on this one but for the single version motherfucker was changed to me and fuck was changed to fred as is shown in their in the lyrics that came along with it
3: me so Fred. You
1: know. No, Matt was from motherfucker. They changed literally like if you when he goes on the single version, when they go motherfucker up against the wall, man. And then when they say fuck, when they we're free to, you know, the, the litany of Swiss Army lyrics, where they said we jumped at, bat dat Fred and da da da. That's what it's changed to on there. So that was the concession they made to the record company. But yeah, this is one of the first albums that had just unbridled cursing on it. Really? In yeah. However, Hair had come out. So Hair was very permissive, same record label. So they'd sort of use that as showing it. But yeah, because of them being so popular, they got away nice. with that.
2: Uh have you ever had to change any of your material? Like is there any shows where they were like, dude, you gotta you gotta change you can't say that.
3: One actually one of my favorite moment like early comedy i would say in the first 2 years mm-hmm. i drove like 2 hours with friends just to showcase style show and they said you can only say fuck 3 times the max if you and so i said it once and then i said it twice and then i got nervous that i said it so i went oh fuck i said it again and that was my third fuck uh. cut the mic played the music and it was like a sad game show and I had to just walk off the stage. But then the person after me was doing jokes about like skull fucking his dead mom. And I was like, Oh, but that's okay. Because he didn't swear. Um, So I remember that, but in a real way, I guess doing Seth Meyers like late night, but I got to talk about the Holocaust. So I was like, whatever. Yeah.
2: You get, you talk about 6 million <laughs> Jews dead, but you you can't say balls. Uh, there was, Did you ever do the open mic at the Laugh Factory? I haven't, no. Okay, well, you, you don't have to. You, at this point, I think the guy that actually hosted it is dead now. His name was Harvey, and Jamie would sit in the back, and when you do the open mic, it was three minutes. You wait in line uh, all day. You sign up for the next week, and the big thing is that you cannot cuss. You can't cuss at all for the first time you go up at the Laugh Factory at the open mic. And me, Angelo, and Gerard Carmichael waited and waited, signed up. We're going on the next week. We show up there. I think I was, like, third. And I go up there, and the first thing I go is, like, what the fuck's going on? And Harvey, this old dude goes, all right, and just cuts my mic. And that was it. And then I came back, I guess, like, six, seven months later, and I was like, I kept it clean. But, yeah, that's one of my favorite, like, F-bomb, like, immediately – Show over. I can't believe
3: we both got cut off.
2: Yeah, well, you know
3: that's wild. Look, but
2: we look what we've done. Like we win. <laughs> yeah. Harvey's well, dead.
3: I do. I do remember I was doing something for TV, and someone was mad that the network asked them to change a word, and they were like freedom of speech and like complaining. And I go, you're getting a ton of money, so if you you have to do what they want, it's a business arrangement. It's not like some ethical stance. And if you want to use your word, don't take their money go talk about it somewhere else. Like a part of it sometimes I think like, it's like, you also don't have to do your comedy on these stages or these networks or streaming that have rules. If you don't want the money, but I'm going to bet you want the money. All right. Uh, I want to skip to the farm. Uh, so the song yeah, there, are, they love, they love farms. They- There's so many farm <laughs> shit throughout this whole um, album. Yeah. The song is referring to the 1950s-era
2: Air Force phrase that means to be killed in action or to crash and alludes to the desire of many wartime pilots to return home, buy a farm, and live peacefully. Uh, play 59 seconds.
0: Here comes my next door neighbor coming down the road He always looks so legal riding on his old Little lightning The toe's name is lightning His hand hands out the shoulder
2: so i wanted to hate this song uh but then they started talking about the toad named lightning and i was all fucking in uh this is like perfect 60s cheese
3: Is that like a toad? Is that like acid or something, like licking frogs? Or what does that mean?
2: No, I think it's about a toad. Maybe, I mean, listen, they're, 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 (laughs) this this is a band. I, correct me if I'm wrong, Morty, but this is a band that did a lot of LSD. I think she's
1: like the queen of LSD, right? They were, they were definitely of the era of the first acid tests. And that was, I mean, San Francisco. So you guys know, San Francisco in the, you know, mid 60s, early 60s, this was where it all happened. This was the entire, you know, it filtered down to Los Angeles, but people came from all over the world, but definitely all from the East coast and moved to San Francisco and the permissive lifestyle. And then when they would see it in time magazine and all these different things and people dancing at golden gate park and all these things and taking, you know, Ken Kesey's acid tests and the merry pranksters, they flocked there. You know, this was like the, this was the, the button. This is like George Harrison visited. You know, like that's how that's how sort of popular it it was thought about at the time. You know, a lot of burners because of that. But, you know, that was it was it was the height of youth culture. Um, Yeah. So,
2: I I mean, supposedly this is the hippie dream. Ditching the cities, moving out to the middle of fucking nowhere uh, and having, uh, you know, a acid soaked existence. Uh, We more people need to do that. Um,
3: yeah but farms is like that's more manual labor than these people i think think about
2: <laughs> yeah but they it's love- a lot of work for sure have you ever lived on a farm or anything well you like didn't
3: i would never want to make my own food I, like that sounds nuts
2: <laughs> you don't cook at all
3: well the pandemic changed a lot for me but i've started assembling i'm more of an assembler no when the pandemic hit i had to go buy cooking oil i didn't have any i didn't no.
1: What were you using when prior I moved to, that? to New
3: York? Nothing. I didn't cook. I like no, yeah. New York kind of encourages that behavior, and I liked it, so I I went out, or I'd eat at comedy clubs. Like the cellar has amazing food. Amazing
2: food. The, the chicken <laughs> wings, the hummus. Uh, yeah. Oh, and the stand. I mean, let's like, can we talk about the stand's food? I mean, they have like fogwa. Yeah. They have like duck For liver.
3: Sure. I just, I, for me, it was like, I would do my late night spot. I would eat at the cellar. And then during the day I had a coffee shop across the street and I went there every single day. Nice. Nice. I mean, I'm broke Like that's my problem. I live like I'm rich. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> yeah. I have nothing. I have no skills. I don't know how to cook and I have no money because <laughs> I kept going to Alfred's for iced coffees.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was my
3: dream. Moving to LA, I was like, I would go to Soul Cycle, I would see a celebrity, I would walk to Alfred's, get some breakfast. It was amazing. Postmates some sushi it was nice let me ask
2: you a question because you talked about on social media and I think I I think we've done some of those classes so you talked about like that people don't realize how much work is at a farm you you lost a shitload of weight during the pandemic right?
3: In the yeah, like December 20th, I started a fitness thing. I'm at 32.5 pounds. Yeah But I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Oh my God. But I'm going to keep going. I think, yeah, I want to lose. I have like a goal in mind. So I'm just going to keep doing it.
2: Dude, you're, you're killing it, man. Um, so that
3: helped me too. Yeah. Like, obviously, having to make the things and follow health stuff and eat vegetables. But now, like, after this, I'm just going to throw things together and make a salad. Like, I don't want to make stuff. But but my dad had heart surgery this summer and he was 82. He's like 83 now. But that also inspired me, too, because he was in such great shape. His recovery, the doctor said better than a 60 year old. He was he two months after heart surgery, massive heart surgery. He was walking two miles a day. Yeah. So like that kind of my sister and I were like, oh, we need to take care of ourselves. So if something happens, we're not fucking laid out because of a surgery.
2: Yeah, if especially if your dad has like heart-related issues and it runs in your family, you want to like put good food into yourself, work out, so Oh, you know what his
3: up- issue was? He fucking had scarlet fever in a horse and buggy escaping the Nazis in Russia and th- those problems like stay in your heart oh yeah <laughs> Isn't that it's, crazy I, I,
2: yeah that's that's really <laughs> it's fucking insane jesus christ um i mean that's that's a workout so running crazy. from nazis is definitely a
1: workout dude
3: um, what do you listen to? that's that's okay what do
1: you
2: okay, listen? guys that's my workout <laughs>
3: well
1: I, want, I didn't want to say it on air, but nice. that's my workout. I run from
2: the nonsense.
3: All right. Wait, what do you guys do. listen to when you work out?
2: I listen to these records. That's when, so it's like some of them actually work well. And then some of them are like, this is like, how can I, how can I fuck? I'm like, I'm like doing clean and jerks. And it's like, in the country, and I'm just ah! fucking pushing it, dude. So just depends. Each week is different. That's why I listen to five albums at a time now. Uh, all right. Hey, Frederick. So this Grace Slick song is the longest and most psychedelic on the album. It features blistering, dueling solos, both played by Jorma. Uh, Grace was such a huge factor in the band's popularity based on her voice, look, and zero fucks given attitude. And this, in my opinion, is one of the highlights of the record. Uh, Go ahead and play it.
1: There you sit, mouth wide open Animals living at your side
0: we use the four-stroke man Opens wide
1: Who knows
2: uh, what the fuck the, the four-stroke man is. I'm asking.
3: I don't know. Is it like, a, what is it, pumps?
2: Is this about sex or something? Or like, is this, <laughs> like, what? what is
1: the, do you have any anything else to add about this one, Morty? It's whatever you want it to mean, man, <laughs> Yeah, dude. No, it's uh, they've they've had questions about maybe this is about Friedrich Nietzsche, but they spelled it Frederick. Or she spelled it. Remember, Grace Slick wrote, you know, a lot of her stuff. Whereas a lot of other bands, the female would have been thought to have just been brought in as like the looks, or just to you know sing the songs that the guitar player. Well, wrote. I also bet
3: that's what you people know. assumed too.
1: Yeah, but she was fiercely. Besides being, I mean, a force. I'll get into this later. She was a no bullshit artist through this whole thing. But she was, uh, she was also fiercely literate. You know, she'd graduated college. She, you know, she'd had, you know, she she came from a from a pretty strong upbringing. So by the time she ended up in this sort of permissive, assumed permissive lifestyle, you know, she'd had, uh, she'd she'd been raised, and she she had a life. So she was well read. So her stuff is, you know, it's, it's pretty deep. So without, you know, I don't know exactly what this is about, but there's, like I said, there's been, there's been talk about this. but also with those first lines, you know, are you, are you all the way in or, you know, you know, out and there's obviously open interpretation for sex. You can't not think that. Four stroke man.
2: I'm at least a uh, 26 stroke man. What's your handicap? I'm at least 26. Uh, all right, let's get to wooden ships, all right? Um, Reflecting the heightened tension between the U.S. and Russia, this is about the survivors of an apocalyptic nuclear holocaust escaping on boats to start a new civilization. Written in 68 on David Crosby's boat, with music by him and lyrics by Stephen Stills and Paul Kantner. So this actually has my favorite moment on the entire record. Uh, JT, play minute 50.
0: You must try some of my purple berries I haven't
2: got sick once. Probably keep us both alive. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. I just love like, it.
0: Like I haven't got sick once. But my stomach is a little upset. Is there maybe a bathroom around here?
2: Can I just use that bush over there? These are actually pretty bad. Does anyone have some toilet
3: tissue? Well, Hey Frederick was my favorite. And then my next favorite's right after this one. So I don't even know if I was fully that immersed into this one. But now that I know that it's about Russia and America a little bit, I might get more into it. Well, so you you are I don't even remember it. So
2: but you came here from uh the former Soviet Union, right? I did, yeah. So what was that culture shock like?
3: Well, I was so young. I was like two, between 2 and 3 years old. So I didn't I don't know about that, but being raised by people that lived their whole lives in a different culture and then as a kid growing up kind of deciding realizing your parents don't know what's going on around you or like what they're teaching you is coming from like wartime starving Stalin and I'm an American kid so like I didn't have a culture shock but like my whole upbringing was figuring out like what's up so I don't my (laughs) yeah
2: how shocked were your parents then like how as you've gotten older like seeing them
3: adjust I can't Ima- they have not adjusted. They have not. They were. They were not getting vaccinated. We, they eat Russian foods. They like. Um. They hoard everything. I've gotten them nice gifts throughout the years. It's all hidden. It's all packed away. It's uh, like pay everything in full. Hold on to everything. Um. Vibes. The language is weird. They still don't love going out to eat. They don't like f- at frivolous things at all. Um. But i can't imagine i can't imagine at like 50 so my dad was 52 and my mom was like 44 can you imagine being that or now you're 41 like just moving to a full different country with two children and being like have fun
2: yeah i know i couldn't imagine. <laughs> it's insane yeah, it i is. just
3: and then like they just got on a bus they got approved because a bunch of russian jews left and then they had two different checkpoints like one in vienna and um one in italy and then they just arrived in Chicago and had to learn English, become citizens and then make money. And like there were janitors at my preschool so I could go there, like just stuff that I would not be able to do.
1: Oh, my God. Or think about. So, I just can't. That's the American <laughs> dream. I and mean, that really is the American dream. Yeah.
3: And so to them, that's why. But I'm a spo- I'm spoiled because they tried to give me what they didn't have.
2: Yeah. D- and then <laughs> I became a brat. <laughs> They're like, what is deep dish pizza?
3: <laughs> well, no, but we would, we would only get deep dish p- pizza on Mondays because Giordano's had dine-in 50% off. Nice. Like, right. that's the only time we got that.
4: This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, We've had rock legends such as Dee Snider and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and -and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris makes a podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts and new episodes come out every Monday.
1: Hello, Tom may here host of future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, the Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. You
3: know do, you, what I mean? do your
2: parents have any like crazy stories like that they've told you about You know, the most shocking thing for them when they got here? That they...
3: No, but I'm going to start talking to them because that's what I'm trying to do now. Um, They're just so secretive and like they're the most secretive, non-telling people. Like I didn't sometimes I won't know when uncle's dead for a year or so. I'll be like, oh, why don't you call him? They're like, he's been dead like shit like that. Um, I didn't know my parent. My dad had been divorced multiple times until the notebook came out. I was in high school and they wouldn't have told me if the notebook didn't like affect him in a weird way.
0: Oh wow. wow. Like
3: they just don't talk about anything and or it's horrific or it's like my mom didn't have running water till America.
2: Holy shit, so, dude.
3: So, to me it's like uh, yeah, like my when I complain or bit anything I do is just I can't even imagine.
2: Yeah. My mom
3: worked factory.
2: Do they encourage you or discourage you from being creative, like being a comedian?
3: No, that's the problem. They just let me do whatever I wanted. And I like I would get arrested and they would bail me out. Like I just was given full freedom because I think they didn't have it or something like that. And they didn't understand anything. So like I was able to connive my way into anything, but they loved that I did stand up because they knew where I was and I was working hard. And my mom said this very early on. She goes, every year there's progress. So how can we be mad? good for
2: good I'm for you so, and you've done so well so right. I mean they're, they're probably like yes but
3: my dad this is a Russian thing my dad has never complimented me once but then <laughs> I find I go to the doctors with him and they're like it's you oh my god we've heard so much about you we saw this we saw that and I'm like never has he said a nice thing to my face in my whole fucking life <laughs> anytime I'm on TV he goes you were on TV longer last time like never yeah, a compliment
1: always, yeah yeah, I get that. And then
3: I find out he's just, like, bragging about me over town. Ta- but, yeah, they don't say nice. He doesn't say nice. Well, days. I listen,
2: yeah. I'll give you a listen. I've seen everything you've done, and it's great. <laughs> and I love the new podcast about SVU because it's fucking genius.
0: Um, no, they
3: love that I get to travel and be free and have fun. I want to. I want to buy my dad a Cadillac. Like, I want to get to a financial place where I'm like, spoiling them and taking them on trips and I'm like running out of fucking time
2: well, you gotta stop buying those fucking $8 cold <laughs> brews okay
3: I know you stop
2: I know. it dude I anytime mean, tell somebody tells me like I stay with Big J and Christine uh, a lot in New York and they fucking every morning they go to Starbucks and I'm just like I don't let just get a goddamn coffee pot like buy this that's the easiest thing it's like it's right there you wake up I buy a bottle
3: of cold brew now okay, so it's like listen, $4 hey, a week
2: no judgment but i you could say that that four dollars could be for two more dollars you could have like even more coffee
3: i'm working on no i have a problem like right now the the laptop is standing on a corn stool and it's a stool that's fully shaped like a thing of corn with a bite out of it and it was definitely 220 dollars. you know i have a problem
2: <laughs> all right well we'll,
1: we'll, <laughs> we'll work on it all right um uh, morty do you have anything else to add Yes, okay, you guys will dig this. This is what I was talking about. Originally, so uh, Paul told David and Stephen not to include his name as the writer because at the time they were going through this lawsuit that went on for 30 years with their first manager, Jefferson airplane was. So when this first came out, it doesn't include Paul's name on it. But then afterward, this was a huge hit. He got completely well-paid, you know, once once their, their lawsuit was done, once the record had come out. Uh, but according to the liner notes on this one, it says, David Crosby played the sailboat. I don't know exactly what that means, but that's what it says in the liner notes. Yeah, but it says, he, I just think it's so cool in the liner notes, it says, and featuring David Crosby on the sailboat. And then, by the way, both, yeah, both bands played their respective versions of this at Woodstock. All right, Eskimo Blue Day. Great name for a this song. This is
3: my, I love this song. Do you? I love this song right, well. Yeah, I like this one.
2: Okay. Uh, Grace powerfully <laughs> sings, not just an ecological anthem, but a searing perspective on how little humankind matters to nature as we hurdle towards our own self-important conclusion. Uh, play a little taste of uh, lisa's favorite song.
0: Consider how small you are. Compared to your screen, a human dream doesn't mean to a dream.
2: do free bird yeah consider how small you are compared to your scream. The human dream doesn't mean shit to a tree. Uh, that's, that's fucking really cool. yeah, that that's really is Morty crap. that that really, really is like a cool line. um you know, this is this is why I love doing this podcast. It's just like you know you, you really get to find out why. Uh, you know, what's behind all their shit. And then you find out like every song on this record so far is, 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 has had like a point to it, you know, and this does too. Like how, dude, this record could be, if somebody wrote it now and put it out with, of course, updated music, like more like, you know, what's, you know, what's popular, I guess. I mean, all of these songs, these people would be praised praised it's like oh my god there's this is about climate change and this is about the war in in afghanistan and this is about you know white supremacy it's it's they have their finger that's why that's what that's really what shows you is that this world is so fucked up we're not progressive we keep going back and repeating the same mistakes so uh lisa tell me why you enjoyed this one so much
3: i just like heavy female vocals so any of like that, and Hey Frederick, anytime where she's kind of the star of the song, I'm already into it. Yeah. And then the part that we played, it was just fun. Like it was, it was. While I'd be doing something or cleaning or do and then this I'd I'd have to go and look like, oh, which one is this? And it was always this one that I was like, wait, I like this one. And it was just this one all, the, every time. But I regret not looking up the lyrics because you're reading them I'm like, oh, that's like fucking deep. We all are so into ourselves and what we want and our lives. And it's like, get over ourselves. You yeah, know? dude.
2: Uh, Lady Gaga ain't writing some dope shit like this. Maybe she is. Actually, Gaga is. Uh, Madonna isn't.
3: She is. I actually have a Lady Gaga shower curtain. I wish everything wasn't plugged in so I can go show you guys. But <laughs> it's, uh, it's beautiful. Cost seven hundred
2: dollars, and she, <laughs> she, she, she bought it. <laughs> she bought it. You know, I could get it for you before. <laughs>
3: It's the Joanne. No, Gaga's an artist. I mean, she's a weirdo. I don't know if you've ever seen her in an interview. Like, she's a fucking weirdo. She's I love.
2: A, I love Gaga. I, I remember. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard her. Uh, there was a stripper named Isis that danced to Poker Face at the strip club I DJ'd at. And uh, what I love, dude, to be honest with you, when she does uh, La Vie en Rose, that's one of my cry songs. That's like I. It's such a beautiful song. So Gaga, Madonna, like all the music you like. Like, I I have a very strong appreciation for it. It Pop, it's pop, you know, you can't go wrong with with pop. All right, let's jump into uh, a song for all seasons. So this country rock sing-along satire about the issues within and with the band was written by their drummer, Spencer Dryden, and sung by the road manager, Bill Laudner. Uh, Play the opening. This is like very uh, Grateful Dead-esque. Am I right or wrong?
1: Yeah, this, oh, yeah. Is, this is like... I'll tell you yeah. why in a second. Um, <laughs> anything about this, Morty? Oh, yeah. So remember, this is written by their drummer. And he's talking what he's saying right here is he's talking about all the inter, you know, inter band squabbles and how, you know, people are saying that the singer's a pain in the ass, and how, you know, the manager is screwing them and all stuff that was really going on. And he's talking about all these tensions with them. And he's absolutely correct because less than a year after this, they fired him. Uh, he was having some issues after I'll get why after Altamont, but he was getting having some issues. A lot of the guys you'll find a, a running theme with them is that people were like. The ego trips of this band and like the drug use of this band, and it really put a lot of people through their paces, and so he was fired for how he was feeling, and he basically went on to join the Grateful Dead offshoot, which is another country rock band called New Riders of the Purple Sage. So he went on to play with them, and Joey Covington, the dude that played percussion on the last round who played the chair, he's the guy that took over as a drummer. So imagine the dude in the room with you who's like playing the chair, and he's like, "You're fired." Get the dude on the chair, have him come in here, pack up your stool. You go yeah, I'm looking rug. at
2: the lyrics right now, and it's like you're fighting amongst yourself. That's a lot. It's a hell of a lot of dues you for you to pay. Uh, it's on the lips of everyone I meet. I mean, they must have like – do you have any facts about that later because it's about the fighting because – I mean, this. Oh, the. I mean, remember,
1: they all moved into a mansion together prior to this. They not only were doing drugs and living together and having sex with each other, they moved into a communal mansion with them and other freakouts, you know, into this like huge, <laughs> into this, you know, this huge thing on Fulton Street. Cause a lot of these places, like the dead had their weird house and these guys, cause they used to buy up all these old mansions, beautiful old mansions that were then decrepit and stuff. So, they were living in each other's pockets, and you know it's so. It's you know besides band stuff, you can walk away. You know most of the time, band you come home from the, you go and you go to your house and live with your dog and your wife or whoever. These guys were going. They they were yeah. together wherever yeah, they went. That's
2: a recipe for disaster. You know. Um, I mean, could you imagine Lisa living with you know fucking ten comics in a house? You know, at the beginning, not ten, is one but thing. I've lived
3: with comics for sure. Um, I don't think I would suggest living with best friends, best friends that are comics that might ruin things, but I don't know. So yeah, don't live with people you work with, but so I don't, I can't even, I'm like, this is hitting too close to home, <laughs> but I would love to summer with people, but I understand if you're like writing an album together to like live in a house together as you're writing and recording, I get that.
1: Yeah. But No, they lived. This was like, that was their existence. Like they would come back from the road and
3: move into this. They would go back to this.
1: They all lived in this big ass mansion. Were they fucking each other?
3: Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Grace apparently, except for, I think Spencer basically. And she's talked about this. So I'm not talking out of turn. She basically kind of balled the whole band. Good for it. Paul's just the one that she had the baby with. Wow. I think maybe not Marty. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't fuck Marty. He'd, have you seen him? You know, I don't know. I mean, he seems <laughs> cute, and you know, he's half Jewish. I like. All it.
2: right. Speaking of Jewish, I just want to mention Meadowlands because just here. First of all, this is uh, Gray Slick playing a minute of the popular 1933 Soviet Army glorifying Russian song, uh, Poly wait, "Poliaushka," "Poly,"
1: "Polushka," oh, okay. "Polye."
2: Uh, an organ over almost indecipherable chatter, uh, which to me sounds like, uh, and you're right, it sounds 100% like Yiddish. Uh, just play a little taste of it.
0: <laughs>
2: Einde
3: it sounds like um, the Mario haunted castle levels, yes.
2: <laughs> With yeah, like an angry Jewish hand. guy behind it. Like
3: the
1: the Bowser.
3: Was it on an yeah, organ? Actually... Is that an organ? Organ? Yeah. Yeah.
1: She. Yeah. she's, This is a Russian. Your your parents would would totally. This is like a. This glorified the Russian army. This is like really popular from the 30s, but it's been done by orchestras forever. Poljushke Polye. Like they're like, like the minute people heard this, like if you Americans didn't know what the hell this was, but all the Russian people heard this and were like, holy shit. This is like, she's only doing like a minute of this thing. And it sounds like a dude out the window selling fish. Like if you listen really closely, he's like selling like clothes and stuff. He's like, ladies, if you come here now, I'll help you get the, the. in fact, I don't know if you guys know, do you know, Prince, if I was your girlfriend, I mean, you know, the TLC mm-hmm. version. If you listen to right at the beginning of the 1987 version of If I Was Your Girlfriend, I never knew what it was till I did this. Right if you turn it up, there's like this weird thing, and then you hear this, like, look at the bargains alpha here, ladies. There's one little thing, and it's from no this. Way. And I never knew wow. that one little line from it. it blew my mind. So, everybody out there that likes print. Who doesn't?
2: Uh- Volunteers, the the uh, title of the record. Although this became a call to take a stand against the U.S. government and the war in Vietnam, it didn't start that way. According to Marty Balin, I had woken up to the sound of garbage cans crashing outside the mansion and looked out and there was this Volunteers of America truck so i wrote that down and gave it to paul and he wrote the song uh and in my opinion it's the best song on the record uh play it Look
0: what you're
2: this is it's a really good song this is a really good song like this i hate to say this is probably the reason why this is on the fucking 500 greatest albums list but this song is
1: was this a hit i no, like i said there was no big single things but this would have been one of the songs off this album that most people would know if they know everything i mean it's also the name of the album
3: but did they even talk about oh we're volunteers for yeah i love this one but this i i felt like i've heard this one before I yeah, definitely I,
2: I I had never heard it until at least until I put this record on. And uh, it's great. Uh, I really enjoy it. Um, speaking of protests in 1977, local chapters of neo-Nazis had planned an unsuccessful march through an Illinois suburb because it had the most. Yeah, Holocaust it's the survivors. Skokie. Yeah. That's where I'm
3: from. How but so how
2: so how aware uh, of you uh, that there was this discrimination or prejudice?
3: So when I was a kid, the KKK would come all the time, and we would always have to like discuss it. But I knew about the Nazis um, coming in the seventies. But also, I I'm pissed. I'm forgetting his name, but uh, Ricky Birdsong, you know, the Northwestern basketball former basketball coach. There was like a, a racist killer. That traveled, went to Rogers Park, which is like a Jew area of Chicago. Killed, shot two people, killed the Northwestern basketball coach right by my house, and then went to U of I, Champaign, shot up a bunch of people, then went to Indiana University, killed an economics student who was Asian, and then there was he went back down to Illinois and there was a scuffle and he like shot himself. But that was happening as I lived there, and it was definitely it was like a live shoot. He went on a three day shooting spree, so yeah. I, Skokie was tons of Jews, and then when I grew up, Pacific Islanders, Indian people, Assyrians—like it was very diverse. And so people would come, and fuck with us often.
2: It's in the uh, that I hate Illinois Nazis. It's Do you in remember the, the
3: guys? In I'm like, well, who cares? We don't need to remember the murderer name, but no,
2: uh, but th- this—if you watch that QAnon documentary on uh, HBO Max, uh, they talk about it and they show video from this, so.
3: From the seventies or from the seventies, yeah, like, from the seventies. Oh wow! They, they
2: bring it up, and uh, and actually, it was it was like a case where they wanted to ban them from doing that, and a guy that worked for the ACLU, this lawyer, this Jewish lawyer, uh, fought for the Nazis uh, because he says if you ban them, he's like you're going to be limiting free speech, and even if it's shit we don't like, uh, it has it's not it's, it's 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 that's what this country's built on, and yes, they're wrong for it, but. We can't stop. Just like there was the white supremacist march in Huntington Beach this weekend. And it's like, you got to let them march. You have to, because that's just. Yeah, the the
3: bet. the best thing is to just not go, not pay attention, not look, not put it on TV, like let them march alone. You know, exactly. that's that's the thing, like allow them, but it always sucked because then people would come meet the KKK out and it's like, no, that's what they want. Leave yeah. them alone. Let it's them like, do and, it.
2: And CNN is like, you know, you have Don Lemon like, you know, oh God, it's just doing like 45 minutes of attention to them and it's just like, just let them do, like stop talking about them. Like just stop it. Just let them be Nazis in their little you know, beach and club, and just fucking that'll be it. Um, but
3: after the, um, after Ricky Birdsong died, his family created the Race Against Hate, and it's a race every year, and they raise money for, like, anti-racist, like, action, and it's... Um, the YWCA is in charge of it. And yeah. it's the same YWCA that Tina Fey was a receptionist at when she was at Second City. Oh, nice. So, fun fact. That. But, yeah, I can't believe you just brought up the Skokie fucking... Nazi riot thing. Well, by the way,
1: did you know there's the most, uh, there were the most, this is the thing that blew my mind. The most Holocaust survivors outside of Israel were in Skokie, Mm -hmm.
3: Illinois. Yeah. It was super Jew. It's, it is, it does suck how much you learn as a kid and it's like more intense when, um, you're like black or Asian and it's like obvious. But when I was a kid, our synagogue was burnt down and stuff. So you like really quickly learn, that you're different or the world is just like not into you
2: it's yeah um i thought you were about to say uh you found out you it really sucked how many jews lived in skokie <laughs> i was like what is she setting us up for
4: hey this is steve Choi, host of the musicians guild podcast part of the sound talent media podcast network Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild,
1: we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.
0: All right,
2: let's do some facts. We'll get out of here. All right. Uh, The following year, the band played several shows after the Kent State Massacre where Grace had some exchanges with the audiences. A recording from a set at the Fillmore East in New York has come to be known as the Shrimp Shit. Tape due to a very inebriated slick informing the audience that the band was getting rich off of them, which included them being able to drive great cars, take drugs, and order room service. I, speaking of which, Lisa, I think you and Grace Slick really would have gotten along. I mean, I think she's living, she
3: might have been too cool for me, but yeah,
2: (laughs) although she meant it as an encouragement. For the audience to go live their dreams, it came to represent the hypocrisy of profiting from calling for revolution against commercialism. So uh, so let me ask you this. When did you first start getting really raw with the audience?
3: Was it right from the jump? Yeah, because I had people right away not be into me, you know? So, like, I was, already, I was ready to not throw down, but I like someone threatened to kill me my first year in comedy and got up and took money out of his wallet and said, I'll pay anyone $600 to get this bitch off the stage. You know, like I just was immediately kind of, I I don't know if it's, uh, I'm a girl or what, but, and I talk about like feminism and I have, but like I'm off putting to some people. So immediately sometimes guys wouldn't look at me or cross their arms or boo or like, not like I got heckled. I mean, everyone does. Yeah, so I was right away ready to chat and i ran a show early on so when you start hosting i feel like you have to right away chat with the audience i think you're a bad host if you don't did chat anybody with them.
2: did anybody take the 600 bucks
3: yeah this one comedian he and then he th- he folded some cash and gave it to me and then i got walked to my car because they were like hated me they were they called me um a cheap like dyke Jew. They kept saying that. And the show was only three couples. So there was the whole show was six people. (laughs) And so one of the couples were just wasted and hated me. And they just immediately were like, Jews are cheap. You're just like, just didn't they weren't into me right away. So I said more of your family should have died in the war. I remember I said something like that to them, but it was wild. So, yeah, I've, I feel like I've always wanted and I'm a Dave Attell lover since before I even started comedy and he does so much crowd work and fucks with people and I love the control he has. And so I always kind I think I looked up to him. So I've always I wanted to do that, too.
2: <laughs> there were six people at the show. Yeah, because
3: I was two shows. It was at this, the Laughing Chameleon or something like that. But the first show was killer. And my high school dean was there. And I used to get all these detentions. And so, like, that was fun. And I, I got to kill in front of my, like, dean in high school. And I was feeling top of the world. And then the second show was only six people. And um, I tried my best to do everything. And they, ju- this one couple were just like wasted out of their minds and no one kicked them out or did anything.
1: Um, more to you. Good. So when they appeared uncensored on the popular Dick Cavett show in 69 to promote this album, it marked the first time that fuck was ever said or sung on TV, which led to Cavett making a pre-show disclaimer statement. Really? Oh, I yeah. can't
3: believe they're so revolutionary in so many ways. And I, we, I don't really know anything about them.
1: Wow. Well. Start a revolution.
3: Like Start the revolution. Cool. Right. First well, album and TV show to, like, swear like that? That's cool.
1: I mean, were people cussing in albums back then, or are they just, like, the first to do it? Uh, like I said, they had to fight their record company. They had to fight their record company for this. The the, the 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 You know, the Broadway play Hair had come out, and it had been very incendiary. And, you know, people were they, it was bearing, being remarked about. You know, it was a big deal. And, you know, the Beatles had... You know, people were touching on this, but remember, this is right as the hippie peace love stuff is just cresting. And these people are like coming up, you know, we did MC5 before and you know how like they were just like, like White Panther. These people were like uncompromisingly saying, okay, you know, all that peace and love stuff. Okay. That was good, but it's not going to happen that way. It's going to, we're going to have to. We might have to like take this into our own hands if we really want to, you know, make it across. Uh, all right. Hit us with hit us with the last fact. A year after this record, Grace, under her maiden name, Grace Wing, received an invitation to the White House from Nixon's daughter Trisha, because she had been an alumna of Trisha's college ten years before her. So as her date, she brought along the notorious the notorious radical Abby Hoffman. If you've watched, you know, the movie that just came out with the with the Chicago Seven, you know. Uh, Abby Hoffman, they brought her and she had a purse filled with powdered LSD. So she was intending on slipping it into President Nixon's drink. And fortunately for everything, she was turned away. I don't even think Nixon was there that day, but that's that shows you the badass that Grace was. So
3: Grace was turned away or Abby or both of them?
1: No, Grace, she ended up getting turned away. <laughs> like she got invited, she got all the way, but they were like, No, we don't see you on the list. She's like, Yo, I'm on the list. But they went, Yeah, no, we're. We're not gonna let you in because it was under her maiden name Wing, Grace Wing, not Grace Slick,
2: but yeah, so what they did, they just took the acid and trip balls at the Library of Congress.
3: <laughs>
2: that's the
0: truth.
3: There are so many good art museums in d c that's where I would go,
2: oh, I took Molly uh <laughs> with some friends, and we went to the Smithsonian. This was it's like just
3: great two
2: thousand two, yeah, it was a great day, and then we ended up in Georgetown at a record store. Just rolling balls on the metro. Uh, do, what's your What's your worst partying story?
3: Um, <laughs> your face. Um, I got <laughs> injured. I mean, so many. This is so insane. I was this. I remember. I I was just uh, remembering this recently. I like partied really hard freshman year of college. Didn't think anything of it. Just like a blackout party. And then the next day I get a call from my guidance counselor, like college advisor in college. I don't know what they're called. Like help call like your college person that helps you pick classes. And I get a voicemail being like, you need to come in. You, we need you for a meeting. So I'm like, okay, I think nothing of it. I go meet this woman. There's police officers in the room and they play me back a voicemail and I guess I, like, threatened to kill her and um, bomb her car and all this stuff. And I was like, lady, I have nothing against you. Like, truly, you're my friend. Like, I would never, I don't know what this is. And um, I had to convince them that, she's like, I was scared to drive to work because of this. But I left, like, a threatening drunk voicemail to this poor woman do you still drink so that sucks yeah but i'm not even a big drinker like that's all college like all of my like wild drinking stories are all before the age of like 22 you know 23 and then since then i'm a moderate drinker like i could go months without drinking or i'll have a tequila maybe a drink or it's like oh let's we're going to palm you know like let's fucking get wasted today but i'm not a huge i'm more of a stoner i would say
2: yeah. You smoke every day.
3: Well, yeah, but I from November until April, I didn't. And then since I've been back, I've been definitely, yeah, but dude. I've been waiting till nighttime or like I have, I'm like uh, trying to be like, you have to get everything yeah. done first or whatever. Like, but yeah, I was all day, every day for a really long time. And then drinking, like, obviously if I'm out at a show, I'll have a drink or maybe not. Like it's just, that's just never been kind of my poison.
2: Yeah. Except um, in
3: college.
2: Dude, we all fuck around in college. That's what what college is for.
3: Yeah, when people get sober after their youth being wild, I'm like, why don't you try again? Like, I don't know. We're all... But maybe that's rude to say. I mean,
2: yes, but, you know... You're like, dude, stop being a bitch and fucking start drinking again. I know it destroyed your youth, but I mean, <laughs> come on, you're 34 now, bro. It's like, no, I it's, listen, it's what people figure it out when they figure it out. And for some people it meshes and some people it doesn't. I always looked at those, you know, the people that we partied with in college that they were like, oh, he's like Frank the Tank. Yeah. Well, that guy is now in a fucking 12 step program. And if he's not, he's probably got cirrhosis of the liver. So, you know, we figure it out. And uh and the same thing with pot, dude. I'm I'm a nighttime smoker. That's the best way to do it. Put on like, you know, a Cecil hotel documentary and fucking or some SVU. Dude, get high and watch SVU. Come yeah. on. I mean, what's better? I actually than have that? to watch
3: a bunch today. Um, for my pod.
2: Yeah. Well, it's which I'm is watching great. watching a
3: bunch. And crimes, but sometimes it is scary. Cause then I'll go on walks and try to get my steps and then I'm like stoned post-SVU scary, and then just, like, walking the streets. <laughs> and it's... Uh, but I, I remember one time, a long time ago, we were chatting, and you can, like, just put on music and listen to music. Yeah. And I can't do that. I usually need TV or a video. or an inter- I like watching stuff. And I've always... I want to be a person that just puts on music and can lay and listen. Like, that seems cool.
2: Dude, I mean... That's the one thing I've enjoyed about doing this podcast is just like you buy yourself some good headphones, you smoke a little bit of grass, and you listen to the record. I, for a while, I was during pandemic, I was taking mushrooms and listening to every record. Um, and it, it yeah, just, that's
3: when you told me, I think that's during that protest. And then we went, you were, I think that's when you told me.
2: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, Listen, I, if maybe what you need to do is to take a fucking Molly pill, butt plug it because that's the best way to get high, and just drive, bro. Just fucking walk Wait, the streets. You, putting <laughs>
3: Molly in your butt is the better way to do it?
2: Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, I haven't done that, you know, ever, <laughs> but that's what everybody says. Or have
3: I have a bunch of Molly from two Halloween's ago still in my backpack,
2: dude? Let's fucking do it together. (laughs) Okay, I love you. I would I would do because that's a drug (laughs) that I've started incorporating in again because I only I do drugs because I want them to open me up and make me feel more alive or connected to people, and you know, so I won't. But I won't do like coke. I won't drink. I won't take painkillers. No chemicals like that. But I feel like there is some therapeutic value to stuff like you know, like Molly and and. Uh, and mushrooms, mushrooms are well, particular. Well, since this
3: is music, I would say like the songs that hit me on Molly, yeah. no matter where, if I hear it, I'm like, Oh yeah. Like they're just the songs, uh, my Molly songs and I love them.
2: All right. All right. Let's do, I got some quick questions. We'll get you out of here. All right. Favorite song on the record. You said you had two of them, but which one's your favorite?
3: I'm going to say Eskimo Blue Day.
2: Ooh. Okay. Least favorite song on the record
3: all the other ones that i don't remember.
2: Okay. Good answer. So
3: all of them that volunteers Eskimo Blue Day, hey Frederick and we can be together. I'm I'm in. And then the rest um are also are the same to me.
2: Okay. Uh what song on this record would you fuck to?
3: I wish i had memory. Um hey Frederick, i guess it's like long? Yeah.
2: Okay. Okay. Long and song. <laughs> does this deserve to be on the 500 greatest albums list and is it ranked accordingly?
3: Sure. I mean, I don't care. I like I would love to know how they pick these uh, out.
2: Old white men get together and decided this list.
3: Yeah, it's like um I'm sure this meant a lot or like you guys were talking about the Doors earlier. I'm like I could care less, you know, like I um this list means nothing to me. And um, that's it. I'm just excited when I see the ones I like, or like, I know the Beatles will be in there, you know, whatever. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm just looking for my Madonna. Like I, I'm sure Janis Joplin's in there. That would make me happy. I just don't care. I don't know.
2: So Morty, I want to get your opinion on this because we've been going through this journey together. Um, I don't think this deserves to, I don't know, man. I don't know if I say it doesn't deserve, but if it's definitely not ranked accordingly, uh i feel like this should be if anything this should have been like 500 like outcast Equemini could have been here i mean that's
1: the difficult thing about this we've had all three big star albums we've had you know multiple albums by jackson brown we've had three jackson brown albums i mean like i said before except for greatest hits and and you know comprehensive compilations which i don't think is fair when you're talking about an album because you want to know where someone's head was at when they did one piece of music, if it's just a career retrospective,
3: but that's that's, what I listen to the most. I love greatest hits. Of course. Greatest hits like Queens greatest hits to me. I love it. I, I listen to it all the time. Right,
1: But you can understand wanting to know where their heads were at for a cohesive. Like if we're, you know, if we're talking about one record, there's a cohesive concept of like this record, when this record happened, all these songs merged at the same time and we're all done at the same time. So where they sit, you know, near each other is fascinating when you look at it like that. Cause otherwise if you go somebody to love and then you go nine years later and then knee deep in the hoopla with, we built the city, you know, you're sort of just getting a career perspective. So I think with this album, it's important in its time. It's very difficult to make younger people. I'm older. So, and even I'm, you know, I'm, I was only like a year old when this came out. So this has, not I don't, I don't know really this album at all, but I understand that what it was doing was, I mean, like we said, it was the first sort of curse words that were really on like a popular rock and roll record. It was it was one of the first records where they were really telling people you're going to have to take to the streets. You know, like I you know, like this is like telling, you know, San Francisco peace nicks and hippies. It's not going to go the way you think. You're not just going to put flowers and guns, dude. Like you guys might have to actually start a revolution. You know, and in that in that respect, now it seems old hat. But you know, you have to remember this is like right after everyone's like, peace and love and dancing in the park and the people that were radicals, you know, these aggressive, you know, they would have been considered like, you know, these, you know, the Black Panthers and these ones that you look at as like militant organizations. These were telling the hippies, yo, dude, it's not gonna happen through the means that you thought it was. You're not just gonna dose the president. Yeah. You know, dude, you might you might have to. You might have to pick up a gun. So, in that respect, I think it's incredibly important because what it happens after this, what this leads to, you know, is that, I don't know ranking wise. I don't know that it should be as high as it is, but you know, then I don't and I don't think Josh should be as high yeah, as he. Yeah, I'm completely so. So there right you now. go um
2: I no I, I i thank you for explaining that because yeah that that i think that will help the fleece army kind of because we i know we're gonna get some fucking pushback on on this where it's it's a tough yeah record. it's a tough record and it's what I don't does know that it's,
3: mean that's a tough record it's you guys kept saying that like it's hard to listen to it's not easy
2: so lisa um there are albums that we have done that you put it on and immediately you are like oh yeah Oh yeah, dude. This everything that you can, its either you know—it just it vibes with you, it connects with you. Um, this is like the—it's almost like the pheromones of it. It's just like it's a little bit harder to fucking connect. And this—the first listen, I wasn't into it. Second listen, I still wasn't into it. By the third, uh, the Purpleberry song started coming into me, then the Farm song, and then Volunteers was the only song that right from the beginning I was like, "This is great." Volunteers is great. Dude, we did PIL, uh, Metal Box, and it took 14 listens for me to fall in love with it. And then I was like, this is great. Some records you get right away. Some records are, are uh, King of Limbs by Radiohead. And you it's just because it's Radiohead, you're going to give it more shots than just once. Um, and so
3: what are the ones that you're like, this is easy, perfection album, put it on. Like, I'm going to go for a walk i'm gonna click like what are the ones? all that of the jacks
2: all the to? jackson brown records uh 100 like, i've never
3: even heard of jackson brown.
2: oh that's <laughs> blasphemy on this podcast toots and the maytals okay. i fell in love with immediately um you know i mean trying to do the ones that i've never heard before um i mean there's so many there's so many war now war took a couple listens i dug it um
3: maggot brain no, maggot, I mean, maggot brain brain, maggot brain right from the beginning
2: that... i was yeah that's still that's still my favorite i think that's definitely the one record out of this that i've been like blown away by.
3: maggot brains the band or the album name
1: no the band listen Funkadelic.
3: i actually i'm not that educated you could tell in music but i've seen i p- <laughs> i've seen the p funks like four or five times um yeah right. i've had a great time seeing george clinton and the p funks
1: then you've definitely yeah you've definitely heard at least a few songs off there off this record cool uh all right uh Lisa anything you want to promote please go ahead
3: um, well, my friend Kara Klink and I have a podcast called That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. And we talk about an episode, the true crime it's based on, and we interview a guest from the episode. And we talk to Yclef Jean, that's, that's a dope. musical person. Um, he played like an evil record exec, but we've talked to Marsha Gay Harden, and if you're a watcher of the show, like Captain Kragen and ADA Casey Novak. So it's like you get inside scoop. We talked to the showrunner from season two to season twelve. Like, cool insight. And then we do the research and, you know, people like the banter.
2: It's great. It's, it's great. It's a great idea. Uh, what's your social stuff?
3: Oh, I'm at glitter cheese on all social media, and hopefully we'll be doing comedy again soon on yeah. stages everywhere.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but not yet. Not,
3: well, but if you want to see me uh, do comedy, I have like I'm in the Netflix Degenerates. So I have a half hour special, so you can see my brand of dirty.
2: It was a great like set that. too. It was a great set. Uh, Morty, what do you got?
1: Any shout outs? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna give a shout out. I believe it's Christopher Moore, one of our one of our fleece army. Who is a sweetheart and is constantly giving us big ups on this. Yeah, Christopher D. Moore. But also you could find me on Twitter, uh, DJ Morty Coyle. You can find me on Clubhouse if you're into that way inclined. And then check out b and Daddy cartoons on um On Instagram and the Fokker Force 5 at Facebook Live every Tuesday at about 8-ish. Yeah, it's great.
2: If you've never seen Morty at uh, Fokker Force 5, it is so good. It's how me and him met. And uh, tune in. It's on Facebook. And uh, check out B and Daddy Cartoons because it is great. I love B. Your daughter is the fuck. He's going to be one of the coolest kids in the world, dude. Uh, JT, what do you got? At JT
1: underscore podcast exec or the company Next Chapter Podcast at NC Podcasts. And we just launched a new podcast. I mentioned last week, but uh, Macbeth doing Shakespeare. So episode two is this Friday. Nice.
2: Uh, Lisa, thank thank you, darling. Thank you. What'd I tell you, what did I tell you, the one and only Lisa Traeger. Follow her on all social media at Glitter Cheese. Go to her website, glittercheese.com for all things Lisa. And like she said, listen to her podcast that's messed up with her and Kara Clank, where they break down Law and Order SVU records. Episodes. I don't know why I said records. Now. We just listened to Jefferson Airplane from 1969 for new music this week. Our pick is Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats. They're a British psychedelic rock band from Cambridge, England, that's performed at the Montreal Jazz Festival and performed over a dozen times with Black Sabbath. And you are listening to their song, I See Through You, from their 2018 album, Wasteland, on Rise Above Records. And you can find all the links for them on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you are in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500 website, or the episode, send your song to 500podcasts at gmail.com and make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Police Week as we go deep into the 1979 record Regatta de Blanc. Oh, I bet it's pretentious. If you haven't heard the record yet, do your homework. Listen to the album. Stay police. Oh, yeah. dooboo. doo
4: What's up everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects," and Ian MacKay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map, from Fallout Boy to Slayer, Pure pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Next Chapter Podcasts.